uh, when I saw what chapter in Philippians we were going to look at this morning, uh, it, um, I got excited because it's a subject that I like to talk about. I also got a little nervous because it's a subject that I uh, know far too well, uh, personally, uh, as far as anxiety is concerned. There are times in my life where anxiety has taken uh, a real upper hand. Once was in uh, college, um, and probably I should have been on medication at that point, but just kind of pressed through it, um, came to know the Lord, a lot of changes in my life at that point in time, a lot of things I was saying no to, uh, new situations, it was just too much for me at that age. And then later on, when I uh, had some kids, um, I, you know, I've talked about my girls, four girls, that's why I don't have hair. Um, sorry, ladies. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. That's I got to watch out these days. This is really bad. Um, you know, I'm only kidding. But uh, the responsibility started to feel very, very strong, and I dipped once again, and was even on medication for a while to help me through that to get things in balance. Anxiety can be something that is not only overwhelming but life debilitating. And so, as I come to this, I have to be careful that Paul here is not writing a psychology book, right? This primarily is not a psychology book. This is spiritual truth that he is imparting to the Philippians about how to be at peace. And, but, but, Paul gets very close to the things that are needed to be at peace. That's what's so amazing. Uh, you know, if you look at cognitive behavioral therapy and the things that they recommend, this passage actually has all those elements in them. It's amazing what the Scripture has. One writer put it this way, the growing Christian is much aware that every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. Some days with Jesus, our disposition is sour. Some days with Jesus, we are so sad, we feel our heart will break open. Some days with Jesus, we are so depressed and discouraged that between the garage and the house, we just want to sit down on the grass and cry. Every day with Jesus is not sweeter than the day before. We know it from experience. We know it from Scripture. And then he quotes David. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Why would a soul have to be revived? Because it's discouraged. Because it's anxious. And one of the loudest ways I hear the call that my soul needs to be revived is when that serpentine grip of worry strangles it. It strangles many souls. Some form of anxiety is the most common mental illness in the United States. I like statistics. Sometimes they're very, very helpful. I'm sure some here struggle with anxiety. You may even be struggling with it today. Um, someone here certainly knows people who have struggled with anxiety. Listen to this from Counseling Today, uh, Bethany Bray. This is June 2017. 
Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 18% of the adult population, or more than 40 million people, according to the National Institutes of Health. 18% of adults. And that's what's reported. 18%. That is a huge number. That means that 18% of adults in America today are struggling with some kind of anxiety disorder. It's crazy. He says 25% of youth ages 13 to 18 live with some type of anxiety disorder. Anxiety is, when I was 18, that's when it struck me at that point. And very often, if these things are going to happen, many times they come crashing in at that age. So, you know, one thing I really like to tell younger people is, is if you start to feel this way, your first impulse is going to be, I can't tell anybody. I have to deal with this alone. I have to be okay with this. And that is the worst thing that you can do. Because people are there to help. You can be helped as you move through that, especially if it's something that's serious and begins to become life debilitating. Ten years ago, Krask and Barlow, they run this uh, anxiety uh, uh, place up in Boston, stated the prevalence rate of general anxiety disorder, which often accompanies the other anxiety disorders, was estimated at 4% of the United States population, or 12 million people. That's just that one. There's a long list, you know. We are experts at anxiety. There's separation anxiety disorder. These are lists in the DSM. In other words, that manual that the psychiatrist looks at and looks at, okay, anxiety in the list, and then here they have all these pages on all the different ones. Here's one you would get medicated for, depending on how serious it is. Separation anxiety disorder, selective mutism, specific phobia, social anxiety disorder or social phobia, panic disorder, agoraphobia, generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder. Those are the ones that are listed in the DSM. If you go online and just type in Google phobias, boy, every, pe people are afraid of everything. Wood, I'm afraid of wood, you know, carpet, it could be anything. It's, it, gets, it gets really, really unbelievable. But listen to what Max Lucado says about this, kind of bringing it together. He says, stress-related ailments cost the United States billions of dollars every year. Why do you think the nation leading much of the world in infrastructure? Infrastructure. Yeah, I complain like crazy in Rutherford about the potholes. It's like, come on, give me a break. It was so bad in front of our house, I got lost in a pothole. That's how big it was. All right, and so then we finally got them. They were doing paving. And my mother-in-law, when she got out of the car, she fell. She didn't get hurt. But I, lay, I let that be at the end of the letter. Okay, so then I write a letter to the mayor you guys got to do something with our street, blah, 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 blah. My mother-in-law, when she got out of the car, she's 85, she fell right on the curb. So, you know, do something. <laughs> Mayor calls me. Whoa, this is good. Guess what? 
First question he goes, is your mother-in-law okay? I really wanted to lie at that point, but I didn't. I obeyed the Lord. I, I prayed for spiritual guidance. Lord, should I lie like Rahab lied? No, I better not do that. It doesn't apply at this point. We're not in war yet. But anyway, so I did, I did not, I said, no, she's doing fine. Would you believe, now this was, this was midwinter, but they were doing a lot of paving. They paved our street. Infrastructure. Now, I'm complaining about potholes in the front of my street, and then in six months later, they actually, now it's not a big street, but they actually paved it. I, can you believe that? I mean, that's amazing. And believe me, I do not have clout. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. I complain, complain. Infrastructure. If you go to another country, how, how many here have gone to some other countries? And the roads, how are the conditions of some of those roads? Oh my, oh my, bridges, uh, it's, it's just not good. And yet we in the United States, man, I complain like it's crazy. They are five minutes late collecting my garbage. What is this? Anyway, infrastructure. We lead the world in it. We lead the world in it. Not only that, education. Well, that, some places yes, some places no. Our democracy is a leader. More is also, we lead the world in all sorts of things, but you know where we also lead the world in? Anxiety. The most people who are anxious on the planet are on this I was going to say continent, right? This continent, yeah, this continent, the United States, the 48 plus the other two, three. I've, I'm not good in geography. Anyway, you get the point. We are unbelievably anxious. Why would Americans suffer from more anxiety when uh, lesser developed countries don't? Why do more Christians suffer from anxiety when other Christians in lesser developed countries don't. That's a whole other sermon. There's a lot of factors that come into that. But that's the case. We are uptight. We are uptight. We are stressed. So let me define what worry is. Paul uses the word anxiety, and it really has the same this meaning. One writer said it this way, it's a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Right? You're thinking about the test. Got to do the test. Got to do well on the test. Got to, you know, I'm not going to, as soon as I go home, I'm going to study. You want to get, you want to have to pass the test. I mean, I know what that's like when, going back to school and you have to, you have to pass the NCEs and you're a nervous wreck and you just focus, test, test, study, study. My kids come to me, leave me alone, I have to study. My wife comes to me, leave me alone, I have to study, right? Test, I gotta do well on the test. And everything, everything in your life moves to that, that realm. Another definition, anxiety is from the Latin which means to choke or to squeeze. Worry harasses. It bites, it tears, it snaps at you. It torments to the point of destroying peace of mind. i got to be clear, we're not talking about concern. All of us have concerns. 
I have concerns. Concerns is something that you think about. It might be a potential problem, but you plan ahead and you move and you do it. But the difference between concern and worry or anxiety is the fear element. Specifically, there's a whole bunch of fear that's wrapped up into that concern, which makes it worry. There's another thing. Differentiate from anticipation. Uh, I went to the giant uh, Dallas game Monday night. Somebody gave us tickets. Uh, it was the first time we tailgated. Anybody here ever tailgate? Wow, oh, you sinners, very, very bad. Now, <laughs> all right, I tailgated for the first, it was really, it's another culture there. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. We had a lot of fun. It was great. But, you know, the day before, I'm thinking about, man, I'm going to go see the Giants in Dallas. And, you know, the, uh, today's game, the Jets and the Giants, I could care less. That's how bad that game was last Monday. But I anticipated it. But that's not worry. Anticipation for something good or something fun or enjoyable, that's not worry. And even people meditate on the Word of God, right? You, you roll the truths of God over and over in your mind to focus yourself on the Lord. That's not worry either. You see, anxiety is in the fear family. It is a close cousin to fear, but it, the two are not twins. Fear sees a threat while anxiety imagines one. Anxiety is always future-oriented. What if? What if? What if? Max Lucado, this is his definition. He says, fear screams, get out. But anxiety ponders, what if? It's not so much the onslaught of a storm as the continual threat that one is coming. It's a big heap of what-ifs. There's this uh, peanut, uh, Peanuts, uh, you could picture in your mind, Charlie Brown is there, it's just one box, and he's, he's at his desk at school, and he's looking up, and he's, he's very, very, very serious, and the little... Uh, caption on the top of his head there, his thought is, my anxieties have anxieties. That's what it is. You just keep going, what if? What if? What if? What's yours? What do you keep what ifing about? Is it a revolve around money? You know, affording paying for your children's college tuition. Fortunately, I'm past that. I worried about that. I'm past it, I'm not in debt, but I worried about being able to do it and going in debt. Did that worry make any difference in what happened? Zero. It was a waste of time. See, one of the con jobs of worry is that you think if you worry, you're going to be more serious about doing what you need to do. That is totally not true. You'll be ineffective in what you need to do as long as you're serious about it what you need to do you don't have to add worry to it but we do this mind game you know if I worry about this enough I'm gonna actually do it and may and things we actually it's actually kind of a superstitious thing if I worry about this and worry about it enough and do what I need to do everything's gonna work out not necessarily money right college tuition make enough money to make your ends meet and listen, younger generation, it's a lot harder. When I got married, 
Um, my wife worked part-time, I worked full-time, we bought a house. Um, you're gonna get very, very upset with me now. We bought a house in Rutherford, it's got four bedrooms, you ready? 84,900. $84, right now I can sell my house and I was for over $400,000, all right? I got this cash cow, and it's not really that great of a house. I mean, it's okay, it's kind of nice, but it's small. Square footage is like, you know, laughable. But I, I thought it was tough then, because I had friends 10 years earlier who bought the same house for $54,000. Now you guys have, oh man, my daughters, they now are moving out to pass Dover. You know why? Because it's $100,000 cheaper to buy a house. So you guys got economy, and you're going to be thinking. It's no longer like I'll work part-time, he'll work full-time. You got to bring two incomes in. And where are you going to live, and how that's going to go? You're going to worry. Listen, I don't even have to, I'm not a predictor. You're going to worry about that. But you don't have to. You don't have to. That's what Paul is telling us. It's incredible how practical this get, gets. How about your health? Anybody here worry about your health? We went to, Mickey and I went to a financial de, de, uh, advisor a couple weeks ago at a seminar about Social Security. Uh, and um, if you live into 65, the odds are you will live past 85. So obviously there are some of you who will die before that, hate to inform you, but most of us are going to go well 20 years, you know, into 80 and then 90 and stuff like that. It's incredible. But how many times do you begin to worry about your health? Is this a heart attack? Is this this? Is this that? Maybe I better get this checked. Worry. We concern ourselves. It's not being responsible when we worry. How about, will I suffer? Will my children suffer and then family right what will happen with my kids will my husband be faithful will my wife be unfaithful will i ever find a spouse worry it just moves in to all of us dan allender says this whether worry is free floating without any specific cause how many of us have free-floating sometimes? Where you just worry about everything. Everything is just blah, all right? Or something specific that we can identify the trigger. An imposing boss, a neglectful or irresponsible spouse, a troubled teen, even a messy desk. Now, make me feel a little bit good here today. A messy desk, if I reach Friday and my desk is messy, I, I start to develop a twitch. It's just like, <laughs> now I'm, it's not that bad. But how many here, like, get a little wired if your desk is messy? Please. All right, thank you, thank you. I feel a lot better. Now, we're going to have a support group for us after the service downstairs. Because, you know, we're a little high wired. Things got to be in place. Woohoo! He goes on. He says, uh, even a messy desk. Different people fear different things with different levels of intensity, but all of us fear, here's the thing, what we cannot control. We cannot control life. And let's get underneath that. We cannot control God. I would love to, but I can't. I can't. 
And that's what Paul is talking about when he tells us this incredible truth. It's a truth that is hard for us to take in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable list be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Notice rejoicing in the Lord moves to reasonableness. In other words, normalcy. Uh, somebody who's able to live life and see things in perspective. To be known by everyone. People begin to see that in you. The Lord is at hand. I don't take this verse here as saying the Lord is coming. His second coming. The Lord is at hand is indicating that the Lord is present. The Lord is here. The Lord is with you. You can trust that. You can depend on that. It's amazing what Paul is saying. Do not be anxious about anything. Now here's the phrase that kind of gets us, I think, a little bit messed up. And if, if anxiety is your thing, uh, I would really strongly recommend a book, and it's an easy read book. It's called by Max Lucado, Anxious for Nothing. As a matter of fact, it's a small group series. Be great, great thing to go through. Uh, videos, that whole thing. But anyway, the book is fantastic because as I studied this stuff in school, and then we did this in our small group. He brings all of the psychology into biblical truth without even talking about it. It's a great book. I would recommend it highly. Be anxious for nothing. Max Lucado. But here's what happens. We look at this verse, and Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Now, what, do you, what initially comes to mind when you think, see that verse? Don't be anxious about anything. I, I, for me, what happens is I begin to think I, I should just be carefree. Like, la, 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 you know, it just doesn't matter. I rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Doesn't matter. Things like Now, we all know that that's not reality, right? We also know from the Apostle Paul that's not reality. Just anybody read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is all about Paul and the suffering he, he went through. Listen, I love my uh, charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters. And I actually do believe that God can heal and does heal now. But the problem is, some, some of my friends that are there ignore that book. Because Paul is talking about going through difficulty and finding grace in the midst of difficulty. So Paul here is not saying, at least you know, from his life, that we should go carefree through life. And some of us, what happens is we think, well, you know, I should be like the Apostle Paul. I should, none of this stuff should bother me. right? And then what do you do? You feel guilty. And then what happens? And then you feel like you're a sub-Christian. That's, that's the devil and ourselves doing a mind game. Okay? You, if something bad happens and you start to feel anxious, that's not abnormal. That's normal. That's the way it is. And I think the translation here kind of messes us up. But here, here's what one writer says that more of the sense of this is. It's like Paul is writing, be anxious for nothing. And what he's referring to is this ongoing state. Listen. Don't let anything in life leave you perpetually in anxiety. That's a big difference. 
It's not something you can turn the switch on and off. Okay, I won't be anxious. All of us here who have ever struggled with anxiety, especially from a clinical standpoint where, uh, you know, the technicality is that uh, the amygdala in the brain is just working overtime. You have your foot on the pedal and it will not stop. You try to stop it, but it will not stop. Okay, so even for us who are normal warriors, okay, there's one classification in DSM that may require medication, but there are those of us who are normal warriors. And even when you're worrying about something very, very serious, can you just turn it off, boop, like that? No, it doesn't turn off. I used to make the mistake and say, well, you know, I'll get up tomorrow and everything will be fine. And sometimes that will work. I get a good night's sleep. Sometimes all you need is a good night's sleep. Did you know that? You don't need any medication or anything like that. You just need a good night's sleep. But then there were times when I would think it's a good night's sleep and I'll get up in a better mood and I'm not in a better mood because the thing is continuing to bother me. It continues to creep into my mind and steal my peace. That's when Paul is saying, listen, rejoice in the Lord. And this is a phrase I take right from Lucado's book. He says, the presence of anxiety versus the prison of anxiety. Paul is saying, don't remain in the prison of anxiety. You can move out of it. And then he talks about how. So, I'll give you three, two B's and one K. Uh, the outline's really bad. All right, so anyway, be wise, be decisive, and keep seeking. Okay? Those are the three that I want to leave you with this morning as far as takeaways of, you know, what do I need to remember to not worry, to not get pulled into all of this? Okay, the first one is to be wise, and it's to remember what I just said. That when Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord, okay, what he's saying is, do not get caught up in the prison of anxiety. Make sure the presence you realize is normal, but you can move out of it. Very, very important. One writer, uh, it's in my notes there, but one uh, researcher said, one of the biggest problems with people who str struggle with anxiety is they ignore their emotions. They just ignore them. Oh, I feel like this. Well, I don't know why I feel like this. Well, I kind of know why, but you know, it'll just go away. Instead of just facing it, looking at the problem, facing the problem, and seeing what it's going to be like. Paul is saying, look, the presence of anxiety is inevitable but it doesn't have to lock you up for extended periods of time. Be wise. Remember that. The second one is be decisive. This is a call to make a decision. Notice what Paul says. He says with this whole worry thing, rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say feel good in the Lord always. Right? That's a feeling-based He's saying, look, you have to make a decision. This is, and this stuff comes straight from cognitive behavioral therapy. It's amazing how they ripped off the Bible and then don't give it credit. But Paul is saying, look, you've got to make a decision about this. You have to face the situation that you're looking at, but his direction is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. What does that mean? 
Now, some of us, when we look at that verse, we, we kind of go, uh, you know, our heads spin because when you're feeling like what, what I'm describing, the last thing you want to do is rejoice. The last thing. And you can see from the Psalms how David is honest about God. James says a similar thing. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Right? I mean, it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And Paul says, exult in your trials. Exult in them. In Romans 5. What? What are they talking about? Now, and this is important to get because the Bible here, they're not saying we should be masochists. He's not saying that we should enjoy the pain. That's not the point. Let, let's, let's give the writers of the Bible like they have intelligence. Okay? Obviously, that's not the point. So, Paul is not saying when he says exult in your difficulties that we should enjoy it. The other thing, though, that Paul is not saying is rejoice for your difficulties. That's where some of us get into, right? I have a, uh, a, a person that my older sister dated, and he said, you know, we went through life, life was hard, and we kind of earned, we earned who we are today, you know, because of all the tough stuff that we went through. You know, what he's saying, he's rejoicing for his trials. Paul's not saying that. Paul is not saying that if you go through a lot of stuff, you're going to be a great Christian or a strong person. Because I know people who go through a lot of stuff and it, it ruins them. They fall apart. Paul is saying something more than for. What he says is exult in them. While you're moving through them, exult in them. That's what James means when he says, listen, rejoice in the Lord. He says, count it all joy. He's saying that when you take the perspective of the stuff that you're going through and realize that God is part of it, that He's not leaving you or forsaking you and has a purpose in it, that He wants to bring good out of evil, that He wants to bring strength out of weakness, right? Paul says that my grace is sufficient for you for power is made perfect in weakness. It's hard for us to move to that place. But that's what the Bible is talking about. Be decisive and begin to look at, reframe that difficulty that you're going through. How do you do that? This is what CBT says, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Thought stopping. In other words, as your mind starts going, you have to then say, wait, this worrying of worry is doing me no good. I have to hold it back. I have to call it what it is and stop. But in everything, refocus. Divert your attention to something good. Focus on what is true. Look at verse 8. Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, no matter what you and I are going through, guaranteed you could make a list of at least 10 things that are incredible in your life. You know it. I know it. But we get overwhelmed by it, and it seems like nothing is good. It's crazy, isn't it? 
divert your attention to something good. This stuff comes right from cognitive behavioral therapy. And focus on what is true. What is a realistic appraisal? Some of the people I talk with who uh, talk about struggles that they're having in their lives, I ask them a very simple question. What percentage do you feel that this thing that's going to happen to you is going to come true? Let's say, I'm really worried about driving home today because Route 22 there is a madhouse. Do you guys drive on that road? Oh my, you, that's why you're such good Christians. That place is insanity. Anyway, uh, you know, so I start to worry about driving home on Route 22. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, my, the car, I'm going to get in an accident. And what if I get a concussion? And like all these football players, I'll be like them. I won't know who I am. I'll start fighting with people. I mean, I'll do all sorts of crazy stuff, you know. And, or, or maybe it's not football. Maybe it's some other road. Well, you know, maybe I'll be, I won't be able to walk ever again, right? Do you ever like start thinking really dark thought? It, it gets really dark. Well, you're probably looking at me saying, you have a problem, Gerard, (laughs) right? But it it gets dark sometimes, right? You're thinking about the worst and the worst, and they just keep multiplying. It's what if, what if, what if, ah, right? My anxieties have anxieties. So I say, listen, what percentage do you believe that? And they usually say the way they're feeling, that's close to 80%. So you're saying 20%, it's not going to happen. Yes. Okay. All right. So if you were to be more realistic, what should you really believe about that? So they think, they talk, well, probably 40%. Now, when they finally say a lower number, immediately what happens is they start to feel less anxious. Why? Because they focus closer to reality. Probably the odds are less than 5%. And we worry, worry, worry. Very, very important to have a realistic appraisal. Think about what is lovely. And then he says, what you have seen in me, practice. And that's the thing I think that hits me the hardest is that when Paul says what you've seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you what do you think those things are that Paul's talking about about practicing have any idea I wish he gave a list I wish he gave a list of things you know this is what you should do because you'll know the God of peace is with you and you'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. Boy, I'll tell you, it gets very, very basic. I think. I think what Paul is saying, these are the things that he practiced. He practiced time before God. He practiced time where he spent time however works for you. Whether it's reading Scripture, whether it's listening to music, whether it's meditating on the truth of God, he spent time with God. Do you realize that when Paul came to Christ, that he went, it says he went in Galatians to Arabia, to the desert, and was hanging out there for a number of years. Why why did he do that? Now, there's a lot of reasons, I'm sure, but one of them is that here's this guy who was a Pharisee and had to rethink everything. 
He had to find out this Jesus is the Messiah. I, I was looking for something completely different. And now Jesus broke into my life. Uh, how do I live? What do I think? How do I do the things? I, and he, so he went away for a couple of years. Now, he was able to do that. I guess he had funding. I'm not sure. Th- those of us don't have... Don't, don't you sometimes like wish you could go away for a couple of years just to like get, get... Well, but we can't. But there are other things that we can do. Be quiet before God. Learn to be quiet before God. Pray. But not just, oh, I'm not a good prayer. No, 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 no. Pray your heart. Pray honestly before God. That's what Paul is saying. He says, give your prayers and supplications with thanksgiving, knowing that God knows them, that He hears them. This is not something that just happens by osmosis. You know, I get into that idea where, you know, I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll feel better. But Paul is saying, no, take this by the throat. Bring it to God. Seek Him. Be decisive. Don't go on. It's common sense for us. We'll go through the common sense aspects in Luke uh, after at, um, at the lunchtime. But let me just end with the last third point, which is keep seeking. You know, when the Lord teaches about worry, He gives some very, very simple uh, illustrations. He says, you know, look at, the, look at the birds. Look at how uh, they're able to be taken care of. They take care of themselves. The birds, they don't haul up stuff into their barns. They're not even able to do that. They don't even know how to do that. And then he says, you know, don't you know that the Father cares so much more for you than the birds? I think many times we just don't believe that. We don't believe that. And I think sometimes it's because life has been hard. Eugene Peterson says, the fact that God's followers don't get preferential treatment in life always comes as a surprise. We will go through things It's going to happen. But we have a God who is good. A God who cares about us. A God who is, and we don't talk about this much, sovereign. Who we can rest in. Who is in control. Who is on the throne. Sometimes, you know, in my reading, I, quotes that I really, really like, I put in the front of my Bible and I just go to every now and again. And this is the quote. Illusory religions say, fear not, everything is going to be okay. But real religion says, fear not, the things that you are afraid of are quite likely to happen to you. But they are nothing to be afraid of. When my nephew Joseph, uh, who struggled uh, seriously, my younger sister and her husband, Marianne and Tim, struggled very seriously with um, 
obsessive compulsive disorder. And it came to a point in time after college that he just was not even able to work, became very, very sedentary, and died of a lung uh, embolism in his father's arms. And Tim asked me to preach at the funeral. Great. So, but God did give me something. And it's that Sunday school song with Jesus in the boat, we can smile at the storm. It's not true. Well, at least it's not fully true. With Jesus in the boat, Sometimes the storm gets worse. But it's nothing to be afraid of. Because you will resurrect. Either on this planet or in the presence of God. That's where our faith has to move to. And it's hard. But God says, fear not. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how the Apostle Paul writes these words, and we in our American culture kind of take them in a trite way. Oh, rejoice in the Lord. But we don't see how, how deep what Paul is saying is to quiet our hearts, is to take on the fears specifically and courageously to rest in your promises and, in to, and to rest that you are good. Help us, Lord. Help us to grow, we pray in Jesus' name.